As I said earlier, uh, I'm a big fan of the Christmas season in general. Today we, uh, we lit a candle this morning and began sort of our month-long celebration of Advent. And uh, Advent, in its simplest form, the word, really, if you look it up, just means arrival or beginning. It's the beginning of something, the arrival of something. It could be the arrival of anything. So the arrival of the bullet train, you know, into wherever it's going or whatever. The arrival of a new invention of the television in the 30s or whatever. But in Christianity, we refer to Advent as this season of the year that begins today, four Sundays before Christmas, and runs through Christmas Eve. So depending on how the weeks break, it's give or take a couple days, but it's that season every year. And of course, Advent then is the arrival of Jesus. That's, that's what we're celebrating. It's a time when Christians sort of look towards the coming of Christ with a sense of hope and expectation. And my prayer this year, and uh, our prayer this morning before service, and, and my encouragement to you is to pray and ask God to give you a sense of hope and expectation uh, to the coming of Jesus in our lives. And there's, there's really three applications of that that I want to mention to you. Of course, it is the Christmas season, and we look... We look today back historically to the arrival of Jesus uh, in history. Uh, the nation Israel was God's chosen people. They were awaiting uh, the arrival of Messiah. They'd had prophetic voices speaking for hundreds of years into their midst that this Messiah would come, and they were awaiting for that Messiah, and it happened. With the birth of Jesus on Christmas Eve in a stable in Bethlehem, the Messiah came. The, the one they had been waiting for showed up. And so we consider that and we think of that during this season. The, the second thing, really, for us today as Christians in the church, we not only look back, we also look forward to the second arrival of Jesus. You know, and, and it's an, an interesting thing. It's an important part of our faith. We don't talk a lot about it here. And, th- and that's kind of intentional, kind of reactionary. And, and the reason being that in some portions of the church, there's what I would consider to be an overemphasis on the coming of second coming of Christ. When's Jesus going to come? And trying to figure that out to the exclusion of sort of living in the day to day. And so we kind of tend to focus more on the day to day life in Christ. But there, we do have that hope and expectation in our hearts that Christ will return and come again. So that's I think the, the second application I would encourage you to consider during Advent. The third one is this, and that's just really the arrival of Jesus into each of our hearts. There was a point in time, and you might want to take some time to sit down this month and uh, think about it. There was a point in time in which your life and Jesus' life intersected. When, uh, for some of us, it was a gentle meeting. For some of us, it was more like a train wreck. But we, we, we things changed, you know. Things happened, and we came into contact with Jesus, and we accepted Him into our life, and He began, hopefully at that point, to, to some degree, direct and guide and lead our lives. And so that's a third, I think, application of Advent that I would just, uh, you know, encourage you to think about and focus on. The tradition, sort of the church tradition around Advent, centers on this wreath. There is a, an Advent wreath, and the, the green around the wreath is symbolic of life, although it's actually plastic, but it looks nice. I can't help myself sometimes. Um, 
But inside the wreath, there are five candles. The, the, the candle we lit today, the first week of Advent, is hope. And the scripture that we read this morning from Isaiah was, again, a scripture of hope, looking forward to a time when God's reign would come in such a way that there would be peace on the earth. And again, the nation Israel waited for that, and we wait for that today. Next week, we'll light another purple candle. And the purple candles are symbolic of royalty, the royalty of Jesus. And the second week of Advent is uh, the peace candle. The third week, and the only non-purple candle, the pink candle, the third week is the candle of joy. And we'll talk about the joy of the Lord and what that means to us that week. And then week four, the final candle is the candle of love. Uh, And then on Christmas Eve, and I would just, again, we mentioned it this morning, but I would just encourage you to invite your family and friends. Our Christmas Eve service is really wonderful. Uh, It's short. It's one hour long. Uh, It's it's candlelight. The kids are in here. We don't have child care, but the kids will participate. Some of our our younger members are going to help us with some of the readings and things on Christmas Eve. So I would encourage you to be here. And on Christmas Eve, we light the white candle in the center, which is the Jesus candle. And that, of course, is symbolic that Jesus has come. He's arrived. He's here. And so it's a, it's a month-long celebration. And I just, I, I encourage you guys to, it's a busy season of the year for everybody, right? We always have more to do. We always have more to do than we could do. But it seems like this time of year, there's more to do than we normally have more to do. Uh, but take a few minutes. Take some time. Uh, go for a walk. Sit down somewhere. Just go, go to the coffee shop, whatever. And just think and reflect on life in Christ. And talk to Him about the hope and expectation in your hearts. Or maybe if you don't have hope and expectation in your heart, ask Him to help you with that. I would encourage you to read and reflect on some of the prophetic passages in Isaiah and Micah and other places that deal with the coming of the Lord and to think about what that means. Even the one we read this morning about, you know, beating the swords into plowshares. And so there's this this idea that war won't be the reality of our life anymore, but it'll just be agriculture and farming and growing and health and life. And there's new life in that. So just take some time this season and think about Jesus and think about what he means to you and your family and all of that. So with that, uh, we got it. You guys, you guys are good. I want to get into our text today. We've been in the Gospel of Luke going very slowly because I've been trying to get up to this point where I could get into some of the birth narrative around this month. Last week we talked about Mary. And our, uh, our, our focus on Mary was the fact that while she was really nobody special by any kind of worldly standard that she was somebody very special in the eyes of God. And uh, what I hoped to, to communicate through that message was that each and every one of us is special in the eyes of God, that each one of us has a unique contribution to make to the kingdom. Each one of us is precious in the sight of God, uh, that, that no one is outside of that. Um, and I encourage you just to hang on to that too. Today I want to continue, and I want to actually look a little bit more closely at a couple of the verses we looked at last week. So we're going to kind of go back over part of the same passage. And, and here's the thing. And, I, you know, this is the Christmas story that's related to us both in Matthew and Luke, I think, is one of the most familiar sections of Scripture there is. All right. We've all heard it. We've read it a thousand times. You go, yeah, yeah, I know. I know the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and all that. Right. And so there's a tendency, maybe a little bit, to just sort of skim over it. And to, to not really pay attention. But it is the Word of God. And we want to take time. And I, I think we can dig a little deeper. I think we can look a little closer and see 
Uh, is there not something more there that we can extract from that? So this morning I want to look back at verses 30 through 33 again, which is Gabriel's message to Mary. Is that There it is. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive, give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he tells her that she's going to have a baby, that this baby will be great, that he'll be the Son of God, that he'll sit on David's throne, and that he'll reign eternally. Now, uh, realize, okay, put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment, that in Mary's mind and heart, this was not purely symbolic. This was real. She was going to have a baby. And this baby really would be something special. It was not spiritual. Uh, it was somewhat spiritual, but it was also real. This throne would be both a political and a military throne. David was a general. He was a great warrior. He defeated Israel's enemies, and then he was elevated to king. And it's his throne that Gabriel says Jesus will sit on. Your son will sit on David's throne. He will be a leader in, in the image of what David was. He'll be like that. He's, Gabriel's message is looking back to a time in the history of Israel when they were not under Roman rule, when they really were uh, God's chosen people and had the freedom and the flexibility to follow after God and worship God as they saw fit without the threat of the Roman Empire breathing down their throats all the time. But she also realizes this is, as much as it's an actual real throne, there is a spiritual dynamic to it. Because the angel says that his kingdom will never end. It'll, it'll go on eternally. So I, here, here's my question for us today. W was what Gabriel said true? Was it valid? Was Mary's son the son of God? And does he sit on David's throne forever? So you might be going, well, duh, we're here in church, we're Christians, we believe, that's, that's why we're here. Of course that's true. Does it, uh, as you consider life today, the world that we live in, does it look like that to you? Does it look like we're living in the reign of the Prince of Peace, the Kingdom of God? Does it look as though this uh, spiritual ruler is waving His hand over our culture and giving us the grace and freedom to live and love and worship in the way that we see fit? Is that what you see around you every day? I don't know. To me, we live in a world filled with crime. We live in a world that's uh, filled with poverty. Sometimes I, uh, you know, we get numb to it, but I hear stories, read stories, see people in poverty, and it just breaks my heart to see the way that people are forced to live in our culture. Right here in our culture. Not, not in... You know, India, Asia, Africa, but in Portland, Oregon. Um, there's hunger and starvation. There's disease. There's, uh, in the last, you know, couple decades, the proliferation of things like human trafficking and 
the buying and selling of people as commodities. War. The world is full of war. Did you know that? There are 162 countries listed on the table of nations, and of those 162 in 2014, there were 11 not involved in some form of internal or external conflict. 11 of 162 countries not at war. Our country, we sometimes lose sight of it because it's so far away, but we're technically at war. I saw in the news this past week that another one of our American military lost his life in Afghanistan. I sometimes find myself questioning, why is that happening? But at the same time, I realize that that's one war, but we could be at another war any given day. There's nothing that says we're safe from being at war with any one of a number of countries that might be upset with us tomorrow. So where is the reign of the Prince of Peace? Where is this kingdom that... Gabriel spoke to Mary about. Do we see it around us? Is that the reality that we live in? What, what's up with that? H- how do we reconcile those things? It's wrapped up in what theologians call the eschatological tension. We in the vineyard call it the uh, now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And that's our title today is the now and the not yet. So I want to just pray real quickly and ask God to open our hearts to receive His Word today, and then we'll kind of get into it. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity to reflect and to think about who You are and what You have for us uh, at this season especially, and the reign of God, the rule of God in our lives. So we ask that You would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, that we might see more clearly into what You have for us, that Your Word would become alive and real in our lives. Your name we pray, amen. First thing I think that is important for us to recognize is that God has a very different perspective on time than we do. He does not measure time the same way that we measure time. Um, Some theologians say that God lives outside of time, but that's actually not accurate. God is in time. God had a past. He has a future. Uh, He speaks in terms of time and works in our lives in the midst of time. He responds in time. We pray God answers. There there is a, uh, a reality of God being in time today. But we also have to remember, while that's true, God's been around for a long time. Like, basically forever, right? And so, time... Any sequence of time is going to be shorter for him than for us. Does that make sense? And when you've lived a long time, you know, a a summer or a season or a year is less time than if you've lived a short time. And God's lived forever. So those sequences of time are shorter for him than for us. And Scripture tells us that if you want to go to the Psalms, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that's just gone by or watching the night. That's Psalm 90, and then Peter reiterates that. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So God's measurement of time is different than ours. If you take the whole history of the Old Testament from the creation of man, the fall, the flood, all of the Old Testament history, all the way up into the coming Messiah, that's, I don't know, I think it's about 6,000 years or so of time. 
but it was quick for God, much quicker than for us. So the idea of the already and the not yet, the now and the not yet, is a different perspective in the eyes of God than in our eyes. There is a reality of the already. The kingdom really has come. Jesus is on David's throne. The Prince of Peace really does reign. But there's also the reality of the not yet, that while those things are here, they're not full. They're not established. They're not 100%. So what happens in our lives is we find ourselves living in really what is a tension of both realities happening simultaneously. And that's why we see somebody's life change and somebody's life not change. We see one person that's healed and another person that's not healed. Uh, we see poverty uh, you know, overcome and bondage is broken in this area, but not in this area. And both of those things happen. And it can be challenging to walk in that day to day. But what I want us to really grab a hold of today is that that is the key to understanding the New Testament. Without that understanding, the New Testament doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I've had people that are new believers that they pick up the Bible and they start reading. They go, I don't get this. It says one thing and then it says another thing. It seems to contradict itself. And it does seem to, to do that. You see, well, it says the kingdom is coming. And the kingdom is here. And you, you go, I don't understand. How does this work? And until you understand that tension, that eschatological tension, it'll, I mean, it'll really play, it'll snap your mind. It'll play tricks with you if you don't understand how the kingdom of God works. There's a couple things that can happen. Uh, problems that can happen. One is this. Some folks today in a church get too focused on the already. They look to the already and not really embrace the not yet. No, and, and look, I want to say this. I love it when the kingdom of God comes. Nobody loves it more than me when somebody gets healed. Nobody loves it more than me when bondages are broken, when lives are transformed. It, it's, it's the most beautiful thing that can ever happen. But I also understand the reality that it doesn't always happen that way. And so when it doesn't happen that way, we can't claim healing when we're not healed. And I've, had, I've known people who've done that. They've said, oh, I'm healed, I'm healed. And they really weren't healed, and they walked around in their pain and in their sickness claiming that they were healed when they weren't. We, 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 we can't say, we can't declare there's no more disease when there is. The whole kind of fake it till you make it sort of mindset just doesn't apply to the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. The truth is both of these realities happen at once and we can't allow ourselves to focus too much on one and not the other. The kingdom of God has come. That's the truth. But it's not fully manifested 100% in our lives today. And we have to live in that tension. Is, is the devil defeated? Yes. Do we still fight against him? Yes. We spread light by being participants of light. That's what we do, and I'll define that for you a little bit more in a minute. We apply the victory we have in Christ that He accomplished on the cross to our lives as we live them out today. The other issue, the other problem I see from time to time, it's less common, but it exists, it's out there, is a focus that's too much on the not yet and denying the already. So if you have too much focus on the already, it's called triumphalism. You have too much focus on the not yet, it's called fatalism. And we, you've seen this. It's the, oh me, oh my, 
Uh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Nothing good is ever going to happen. Duck and cover, run and hide sort of mindset that we see. And I'll be honest, I think that there are Christians out there who proliferate that mindset for personal gain. Trying to sell stuff and make money off the idea that we have to be prepared for the end because, you know, bad things are going to take over the world and it's all going to die and everyone's going to be in a hole in the ground hiding somewhere. And it's just this reality that nothing good's ever going to happen. And that's not the truth either. So I have a couple of uh, suggestions for you. How do, we, how do we do it? How do we navigate this? So first thing, if you want to put that up, is live already in the midst of the not yet. Walk, walk in the already as much as you can with the faith that you have in integrity today. Walk in that. Uh, Gandhi, who was not a Christian, <laughs> just thought I'd make sure you guys know that I know that I'm quoting somebody who's not a Christian so you don't have to write me an email later. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. It's a wise saying, regardless of who said it. Be, be the change you want to see <coughs> in the world. What would you like the world to be like? Would you like the world to be a more loving place? I would. You know how we can do that? Be more loving. Would you like the world to be a kinder place? I would. How can we do that? By being kinder. Would you like the world to be more gracious, more hospitable? Would you like the world to be more patient? The way we can do that is by being those things in our own lives. Three times, Jesus calls his disciples first fruits. In Israel, the first fruits were, regardless whatever you grew, if you grew, I don't know, pomegranates or olives or, I don't know, gooseberries, you would bring the first of the harvest to the Lord and present it to him. And so that was a way of honoring God with the first thing that came, but it was also symbolic that there's more to come. The whole harvest is yet to come. And that's what Jesus means when He says His disciples are first fruits. We come and we represent what the kingdom will one day be in its fullness. We walk out life in Christ today so that other people can see there's a different way to live life than maybe I'm living my life now. We, we be towards other people what Christ has been to us. First fruits. That's what it means to be first fruits. Second thing, you can go to the next slide, and if the worship team wants to come back up now, you guys can come and get ready. I'm going to wrap up pretty quick here. But the second thing is celebrate the already in the midst of the not yet. Passionately live as Sunday people in a Friday world. Passionately live as Sunday people in a Friday world. I... Um, I, 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 I fall victim to this. I find myself all too often talking about the negative things that are going on in the world. You see, you know, different whatever has happened this week. And you talk about those things. Or you just get stuck in traffic and you talk about traffic, 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 traffic. I was talking to this lady the other day about traffic in Portland and we focus on those things, but you know what we need to do? We need to focus on the good things that God's doing in our life. And we need to be willing to share those things and celebrate every little victory. I'll tell you a story. <laughs> My week this week. Um, I have plantar fasciitis. It's a tendon stretch in my foot. It hurts. It's super painful. Last Sunday I was 
limping around in here. And everybody kept asking me, you know, what's going on. I told them I have plantar fasciitis and hurt like heck. And Monday was worse. Monday all day, I couldn't walk. I was just sitting in my chair reading. I'd have to really like, you know, build up energy to go to the bathroom because it was just, it, I just, it, it just hurt to walk. So Tuesday morning, I got up early for prayer and uh, got dressed and, and hobbled here to pray at 6.30 in the morning. And I asked Doug and Cindy to pray for me before we left and they prayed for my foot. And I left, I limped to staff meeting, which is what we have right after prayer meeting. And then I got up from staff meeting and I forgot about it. And I walked out of the restaurant and got in the car and I drove to the grocery store where I pick up the food for the food bank and I got out, I'm loading. And then I, all of a sudden I remembered my foot's supposed to be hurting, but it doesn't hurt right now. And so I sent a text to Doug and Cindy and said, hey, I'm better because I just felt like that's a little victory. It's not a big thing, but we need to celebrate every little victory we have in Christ. We need to allow our hearts the freedom to celebrate the good things that God's doing, even if, you know, you go, well, there's so much bad, whatever. Let's celebrate every little victory. Live in the big story. Don't have tunnel vision. And, you know, if we just, uh, my life is here, but outside of my life, God's doing good things. And I love it. I love uh, when I hear from one of my friends or somebody I know or some other church or somewhere that God's doing these great things, I, I just go, those are little celebrations and we need to celebrate the victories we have in the kingdom of God. And that will help us. It'll stir hope in our hearts. So, so why don't you guys stand and if you want to dim the lights, just uh, think about the big picture. Think about what Jesus is doing in the world today. Allow hope to rise up in your heart this morning over this Advent season and allow yourself to dream and to think about what God might do in you and with you and for you.